friends, welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. Along with Dan and Adrian this week, we have guest Peter Lohman. Peter is the CEO of a property management company in Columbus, Ohio, and he just has so many great insights about around his journey in leadership. We talk about things like promoting performers to leaders and the struggles that exist there, and creating 10 times the value for other people that we expect them to create for us and on our team. There's just so much in here that I'm excited for you to hear. So let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Right before we do, I want to remind you there's a link in the description of this episode, time2.takenewground.com. If anything in here is intriguing to you or you'd like to talk to our team about any of these principles, go ahead and click that link. Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. My name is Chad. Today, I'm here with Dan and Adrian. Gentlemen, it's good to be with you. How are you? Great. Great. Good to be back. And we also have a guest with us today, Peter Lohman. How are you, Peter? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. It's so good to have you. Uh, we've, we've, you and I have had the opportunity to converse back and forth on a few different marketing things. And you've worked with Dan in some of your uh, ventures and some of the goals that you've got going on. And I've got to hear from Dan so many good things about you. Uh, Uh, Great. Yeah, that's wonderful. (laughs) Both as a human, a leader, and a business owner. And I cannot wait to dive into some of the dynamics and some of the things that you're working on. But I would love to, just right at the top of the conversation, love to give you just a moment to introduce yourself, who you are, what makes you tick, what do you love in life, and and, uh, an introduction to your company and leadership. Yeah, happy to do that. So um, I, I own and operate a property management company here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, we manage residential rental homes and apartments for property owners. So if you're a real estate investor and you own a 10 unit apartment building or a bunch of single family rentals, you turn it over to us and uh, we'll manage the whole thing for you. We deal with leasing, rent collection, maintenance, all that stuff. So. Um, I'm the uh, I'm the owner here, and uh, we have about 15 people that work here, um, and we just spend all day every day thinking about how we can do right by our clients and our tenants. Um, so that's kind of the the gist of it. I've got a, a wife and a daughter here in Columbus, and I've I've lived here for 10 or 12 years. Kind of moved here after I graduated. Um, my degree is actually in engineering, uh, electrical engineering, but. I took a little bit of a winding road and and now I'm, (laughs) I'm in property management. So what's the name of the property management company? It's called RL property management. RL. And how long have you guys been in business? We've been in business eight years. Okay. Yep. So from what I understand, you're, you're probably one of the biggest property management companies in the Columbus area, right? So we're definitely in the top five in terms of third-party management. So you can imagine there's big apartment development companies and, and real estate developers that own thousands of units, you know, and they manage themselves. They, you know, they have a, people that work for them to do that, do that. Sure. In terms of what we call third-party management, which is, hey, I'm just a guy and I own some apartments. Um, I want to hire a company. Yeah, we're, you know, we're not the biggest, but we're definitely up there. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's so impressive and so great. To, I mean, congratulations Thanks. with that kind of growth. What do you, uh, what do you attribute it to? Like if you, as you look at, at the journey over the last eight years, starting from scratch, what do you contribute your success to? Had to be the coaching. I'm sure. Oh the yeah. Coaching. The coaching I got, you know, last year was, <laughs> um, well, let's see. I think, you know, I'd, I'd have to mention, my engineering background as, as foundational. Um, I think engineering, you know, in a big way, I think it's actually similar to law school and that it, it teaches you a certain way of thinking about problems, um, that is very fundamental. And so the skills you learn in engineering are, are quite translatable to other, to other fields and other lines of work. And so the sort of systems and process based, decision-making and problem-solving that I had a natural knack for, which was in reinforcing engineering school. I brought that into property management. And so um, I looked around at, at the, at the marketplace, my business partner and I both, he's an engineer as well. And we had already bought some real estate 
while we were working as engineers and we saw that there was a real need for, for property management in Columbus that was designed for investors. So we got licensed and started the company. And I think that engineering background really helped. Um, it helped build a good foundation that helped us deliver a great product. And then that really helps the growth when you have customers that are having a good experience and they, they tell other folks. But um, in addition to that, I think it was, it was a lot of little things that sort of compounded over time. Um, there's a certain amount of just momentum that builds up when you've been in business for that long in a local geographic area, you start to become known among, you know, referral partners and investors and, and realtors and things like that. We do a lot of online marketing and advertising. Um, we were very tech centric from the beginning. And so we had a website and we had forms and we had electronic lease signing and things like that, which was, it, it's not as much of an advantage today, but back then I think it really was. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of little things have helped us grow to get where we are today. You know, obviously we have a great team. I don't want to take all the credit. My business partner has been here every step of the way. Um, yeah, I think that's probably a good summary. Yeah. I loved, I mean, uh, I heard that you in there, that you have a team of 15. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I also think it's fascinating that you attribute some of that success to being engineers. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. How did you, once you, when you, when you start a venture like this, well, let me ask you this. How did you approach this as far as a leadership role goes? Did you, when you were starting all of this, were you thinking, oh, I'm going to lead people in a way that's going to allow us to grow. And, you know, I would love to just <laughs> hear where your mind was at in a leadership role as you, as you, I'm assuming it was just the two of you as you started and then yeah. quickly, probably pretty quickly, you found the need to bring in some, some other people and what, how did you approach that? What did, did you think a lot about that journey and how you were going to show up as a leader in that? No, <laughs> I absolutely did not. Um, when I started, it was literally just me in my apartment. And then eventually we got our first client and we were able to get an office. And then after about a year, my business partner came on board full time. He had been sort of helping in the background for a while. So my leadership journey has literally been from zero. Um, the only real leadership experience I had had was in Boy Scouts. Um, I was pretty active in Boy Scouts as a kid. I went through and became Eagle Scout. I went to some junior leader training programs through that. And I was like senior patrol leader of our Boy Scout troop. And so I led the Scout troop. Um, so that was some really early experience as a leader, which was definitely invaluable. Um, and then that all just kind of got filed away. And I went to work as an engineer with no leadership skills being utilized at all. Uh, and then I jumped into property management as an entrepreneur, no leadership skills really being used because it was just me and then me and my partner. And then finally, when we brought our first employee on, it was like, okay, now I've got to figure this out. It's no longer just me or me and a partner. I need to figure out what makes people tick. What's important to them. What do I need out of them? What's the interplay there? And I had, I actually, when I was an employee, when I was being led, um, I, I sort of took a lot of mental notes and in some cases, actual physical notes on what was working and when, what wasn't working for me. And I have vivid memories of, you know, there's this problem in engineering. And I think this happens in a lot of industries where if you if you're a really good engineer and you're like, designing great buildings or designing great control systems and making clients happy, you eventually end up getting offered a management role. And so now that didn't happen to me because I wasn't a super great engineer. And so I'm no longer doing that. I'm, <laughs> but, but some of my peers, it did. And what's funny about that is great engineers are horrible managers. I mean, I think some of you probably just know that intuitively. If you've had no leadership training and you just get dumped into a, a management role as an engineer, you're completely adrift. And so I saw that play out. And in fact, my manager at the last job I had before I started my own company, he was that he was an engineer who got dumped into a leadership role with no training. And it was horrible. I mean, the guy would literally hardly ever check in with, with me or, or the other people on my team. The extent of it would be on Friday at like four, he'd sort of peek his head in the door frame. He wouldn't even set foot in the office. He was literally leaning in the door frame. Hey, everything going okay? Okay. All right. Yeah. Have a good weekend. 
you know, it was kind of, that was, that was his leadership or that was his one-on-one. Um, and my guess is that's a pretty spot on impersonation. <laughs> yeah. That's, you're not, that's not the first time you've done that one. That, that sounded good. Yeah. So I actually took notes on what wasn't working and what I didn't like and what I would have liked to have seen as an employee. And then I referenced that once we did start having employees kind of get taking us back on, on course of the conversation here. So started brought on some employees and then that's when I started thinking about, okay, what does it mean to have employees? What does it mean to be an effective leader? Um, and that journey is, is well in progress. Um, I'm still learning and, you know, as a, when you start a business from zero, there's this inherent tension between operating the business and making the clients happy and doing the paperwork and running payroll, you know, working in your business. And then there's a whole separate skill, which is working on the business. You know, it's the age old story of, you know, the, the strategy and the, and the direction, um, and the hiring and, and the systems. Right. And so, that's been a process. And I think I'm finally sort of over the hump where I spend most of my time now working on the business. And so my leadership skills are now becoming more and more important. Hopefully they're getting better, but they're certainly becoming more important because most of the work now is being done by others. Right. And so making them effective in what they do is, is like pretty much my number one job. Yeah. Oh, just to, by the way, man, you're so damn articulate. It's great to hear you. Um, <laughs> I think so. I'm like, Hey, Peter, you want my job? You're great at this, man. <laughs> um, but you know, just to add a, add a piece is there's lots of things that in the chat of your cool that just to be jumping in. Of course. And, uh, being in the combo. I mean, we, we hear the pain of what you were talking about, about when people that are really high performers now all of a sudden, uh, their superiors say, Hey, you're so good. I'm going to make sure you don't do what you're good at anymore. Right. Right. Your job is to lead other people, which is probably the best, you know, it, it makes sense. And it's frightening. Yeah. Well, we feel the pain of both sides. One is yeah. to be a high performer and then to now be paid to do, to not perform in that way. Now you must perform in a new way. And you got, it took you a long time. Most of us, and, and there's some like natural ability and then took a lot of grinding work to get really good at what you were doing. And now you're in this new en- endeavor, more authority, more responsibility, more eyes, more pressure, more to take care of, more to be accountable for. And I don't know what I'm doing like that cat, like that on the edge that like looking out over the cliff, like, Holy cow, I might not make it like that experience. Yeah. We have, we have a heart for those people. I mean, I remember my first corporate client that I ever took on was it was an architecture firm and my first ever contract with them was to coach 14 architects that had just become VPs but the exact same dynamic where it's like smart brilliant people now got the promotion but don't want to do the work they don't even want to do it yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to talk to these people it's right. like your buddy it's like your buddy it's like you know your guy it's like you know so yeah pain to those folks and that's why we you know have have created a process to help, to help those that are jumping into senior leadership um, opportunities and to help sell, save the pain for the organization that wants to promote people, but don't, they don't right. have the time uh, or the expertise on really knowing how to generate great leadership thinking below them, you know? So yeah. anyway, I, I, I thank you for really articulating that. I think that's a lot of pain that's happening for people. When they get promoted, they have this, oh shit moment. I don't know how to do what I'm now, what I'm now paid to do. And where do I get the help? Right. Where do I get the, yeah. where do I get the direction? And it's, it's messy, right? I mean, leading yes. people is messy and it's, it's couldn't be more different from engineering where everything's black and white and right and wrong. And this drawing either gets stamped with a PE, you know, it gets stamped for approved or it's wrong and it goes back to be fixed. And, you know, it, all your skills are useless. It's like, it's like someone left you on a desert Island with, you know, with a bucket of, of salt water or something, it's like everything you've been given is, is actually, you you would have been better off if you'd learned nothing. Um, so it's, I remember the, uh, the owner of that company, he distributed to his managers, a book, I guess it's a famous book called the one minute manager. I had never heard of it at the time. And so because of how I saw the leaders in that business operating, what I assume that book had in it was like, 
here's how to lead your team in one minute a month. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and to this day, I have like a, I like don't even want to read that book because I'm like mad at the book because I felt like, <laughs> I'm sure that's not what it is, but. <laughs> no, it's interesting because Adrian and I actually, we, as he said, we founded this company on that premise because, and we were originally thinking, well, you know, what we'll do is train because the people either they come in, they're passive or aggressive. They're either like avoid and say, hi, how are you? Or they're so micromanaging because they've interpreted that mm -hmm. now being the leader means I have to do everything plus what I used to do. Right. And so they're micromanaging yeah. or they ghost the people and try, out of hoping that kind of the word is I don't want to babysit people. So they ought to know what they're doing. Right. And, yeah. That balance is hard. Um, and I think my intuition is that a lot of that skill you have to almost learn by you have to learn it by observing it and if you've had a great leader who's who's balanced that that pathway between micromanaging and then not managing i think you the skills that you observe them using would would be amazing i've never had that <laughs> So I'm, I'm like, I'd love to like almost be a fly on the wall in a well-led organization and observe, okay, what is actually the right level of touch or, or interface between a manager and the employees? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I hear your assertion that you got to see it, but I don't think you want to actually want to be right about that. If so, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, but, but what it brings up for me is, because what, what I hear you what I hear you saying is you want to be able to see something happening, observe it, think about it, integrate it, and then try your own. Yep. And I'm thinking about people like yourself that are like you're the you're the you're the big cheese over there. Like you're the you're the one, and they're watching you. By the way, all of your you know engagement or disengagement, your experiments or dis, you know it's like everything you're doing. They're watching you to take cues. Um, but I'm thinking about. You know, I, I think about this dynamic a lot. My own relationship to myself. Some days I treat myself like the boss. Some days I treat myself like the employee. And it's really based on how, where I'm at. You know, like, because so, like some days I need to like, uh, some days I'm like, I'm running my own show and I'm like feeling like the boss. And like, I don't even need to talk to the employee side of Adrian because I'm like, I'm going boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And some days I'm showing up like the disgruntled employee. Mm -hmm. And I need to then talk to myself into caring, into engaging, into overcoming, into yeah. experimenting, into asking for help, into lots of things because I don't want to do it. So my commitment must draw me in. You know, so I'm thinking about guys that are listening to this that are like you that wish they like had the example, but don't have it. But you can be your own example. Like, all right, I'm going to go get clear, go try this thing and then watch me doing it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that has to be the way, because like you said, I'm not going to I'm here now. So, you know, you got to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. They've been on our mind quite a bit, actually. We're, we're developing some curriculum we're about to release in about this very thing. Right. We're calling it, I think we're calling it the Senior Leadership Academy. Is that correct? I think that's we've we're, got a few names up in the air. Yeah, we're working on some names for it. It'll be coming out soon. But particularly our work with 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 you and others is very similar. It's interesting. It's not just engineering, but it's a high performer almost in any any profession and then they're faced with now I'm not, I'm performing, but now I have to cause results through people. What do I do? But I, I was thinking, Peter, for you, what, what are the maybe one or two toughest challenges that, you know, that you had to work through that in, you know, in hindsight, as you look back at it, you could say, you know, these were, these were seminal in me being able to launch this company and see the success we're seeing. You might not have seen it before, but as you look back, you know, are, are there anything that pops up on that? Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely what comes up for me is the, the experience of bringing people in to do work that I used to do and then turning that over to them mm -hmm. and, and, and just that, that actual action step of turning over work that I was previously doing to somebody else. And that is so hard, I think for entrepreneurs, especially when you're starting out, um, because there's this, there's, it's, it's like a combination of fear and ego 
where you're like, well, no one else is going to do this as good as I am. That's the ego. And then they're going to mess it up and we're going to lose the customer. And that's the fear. And man, that's a deadly combo. Um, and I don't know that I ever would have escaped that if it wasn't for a coach I worked with way back before I met you guys, this was like year one of my business. And the coach that I worked with back then told me, he's like, he's like, you need to hire an employee. And this was before we had anyone. And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, no. I would, and he's like, no, listen, you need to hire an employee. Like before you even think you're ready. Um, because you're going to need to, you're going to need to scale and you need some leverage and the experience of getting that first employee and turning over work. Of course I gave him all the lowest value stuff. I hated the most, mm -hmm. but then watching him go and run with it and do well with it and enjoy it is like, it, it almost unlocks a whole other part of your brain to see what's possible now of this. Cause I think before that, you're almost your natural, um, your intuition here is like, okay, this work that I don't like doing and I'm not good at, I'll find someone else to do it and they're going to hate it too and probably be bad at it, but I'll pay them enough so that they'll probably just stick around. But that's actually not what happens. What ends up happening is if you get the right person, they like the work, they do it better than you and they're thrilled to to, to do that. They actually enjoy helping you and watching the team and the company be successful. So, but that is such a, man, it's so hard to convince someone of that if they don't believe it or if they've not experienced it. Cause you run into business owners every day who have that old school mentality of I'm never going to be the one, you know, who I'm never not going to be the one to do this, that, and the other. Um, so that was certainly fundamental. And I still relearn that. I relearn that lesson all the time. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I turned over something to someone at the business that I was having trouble letting go of. And I had to re, you know, I relearned that again. Uh, they're, they're doing a great job. I never have to think about it anymore. It's great. Right. And so that's, that, that's been a big shift, I, I think. And so much can go. I mean, if you think about it, there's to get that person on board, starts way before you meet them because i've found and at least you can tell me if this is you've seen this but owners tend to look for people like them mm -hmm. so if you think if you didn't like that work and you find somebody like you they're not going to like that work and then you're going to have your police <laughs> reinforce that right that work nobody likes right and I, so the key is finding the right person that's suitable right they not only have the qualifications but they actually are going to in, in, enjoy and be satisfied engaging that work deeply Right. And yeah. so how do you get that? Right. And then once you get them, the next thing is how to train them. Right. Because you're going to be delegating. And that's a combination of being collaborative with them, but also being authoritative, being knowing when to take over and say, no, wait a minute, this is how it ought to be done. Or, you know, at least look at this or whatever, so that they get a sense of your authority and your ability to, to make that work. And then gradually they take that from you. So it is. Yeah. A it's quite a dance. It really is. And it, it starts with a great job description. You really have to sit and think hard about what are they going to do? What are the skills that are required for this position? Um, and then you go out and you find the right person for that job, not someone that just, you know, you want to get a beer with or whatever. You're, you're we, exactly we, right. We even go uh, one step, we go one step deeper. We say, you know, we get the skills that you need in the job. And then, okay, now what character traits, what attitudinal qualities do we need in this position that will want to engage that work. Right. And that, yeah. that takes a little more thinking even. Yeah. Yep. So Peter, I'm, I'm curious, you, you told this story about your one minute manager that would <laughs> pop his head into the door, yep. into the frame of the door. And that was, you know, you were able to observe and make a mental note of what you didn't want to do, which was pretty obvious in that story. I'm curious what that led you to resolve to be with your people. Yeah. Well, it led me right early on to do one-on-ones um, with every every direct report. So, you know, every other week I sit down for 30 minutes or however long it takes, and that time is that time belongs to the employee. This, this is for you. Bring questions, bring problems. If you want to just chit chat or, or vent, um, I try to never come with like you know, reprimands or performance issues to those one-on-ones. Cause I want to keep that environment pure in a, in a way. Uh, I don't want them to be dreading that meeting with me bi-weekly cause I want to hear what's going on. I want to know if there's issues. So that was a big one. Um, 
And I think just a general, just a deep respect and, and value uh, mindset around the people that are doing the actual work where you just, I try to always remember that they're the ones that are actually turning the crank and I might be dry. I might be like, uh, steering the wheel, but they're the ones actually, I don't know how this metaphor is getting out of control, but it's like, they're the ones doing the work, right? <laughs> right so they're the through, ones man. dealing with the, <laughs> the clients. They're the ones filling out the forms and sign the leases and, and doing all this stuff. So there's, there's a, uh, you know, you just know it when you see it, when you meet somebody who has no respect for the people, for, for someone that's working and they only respect people that went to Yale or whatever. Um, and that comes through. And I think that's especially important. Uh, we have a maintenance, uh, group here. So we have six guys that work for us that do maintenance work. They're, mm. they're fixing the houses and they're fixing the drains and the switches and the outlets and stuff. Um, and so that's even a, a step further, you know, a lot of those guys, it's just, they get treated horribly wherever they go. Right. Any property management company or construction site, you know, they just, their, their status is low. Um, and we try to completely flip that. Um, we treat them as on par with the office team members here and the property managers, they get the same time off, they get the same benefits. They get, actually they get paid a lot more. Um, and, and that was, I think something that came out of that feeling of, I remember being on the other end of that, not as a maintenance employee, but just as a, as a line employee versus a manager. What are some of the results that you notice on your team from those efforts? Well, we definitely notice low turnover. Um, I mean, I definitely with the maintenance team, if you talk to other folks and I tell them, you know, we still have guys that have been with us like four or five years and they're shocked. Um, I like to think that overall the results are better morale, better performance, better sort of team cohesion and, and people that enjoy coming to work and, you know, our, our overall turnovers is quite low as well. So I think it's working. That's great. So as you think about your leadership role now, um, I love having some of that history. Are there things that you're up against now that you're working on that you're trying to figure out that seem somewhat like an obstacle or, you know, that sort of thing? How, what's, what's currently going on with you and your team? Well, you know, we're experiencing the standard growing pains. Um, we're hitting growth milestones that, we're at this point now where we're starting to start to need a middle management layer. Um, and that's fairly new. So, you, you know, now it's like, not only am I not doing the work, but I'm not, it's getting to the point where I'm almost not even managing the people who are doing the work. I'm managing someone who's managing them. Um, so that's, you know, that's new and that's an added challenge. Um, I think, you know, as we look to take our business to the next level, it certainly brings up, it, it brings up for me, you know, it's almost like starting over again because I've gotten so comfortable with where we are. And now it's like, I want to get to this next level, but I don't quite know how to do it. And so it brings back, back the age old questions of, well, can I even do it? Or you know, am I going to make a mistake or am I, am I choosing the right strategy? Do we have the right people on board? So definitely, um, some mental challenges, um, around those topics. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to articulate, but there's a, there's just a feeling of, I think entrepreneurship is this fundamental tension between feeling, feeling confident enough that you're going to go out on your own and do something new and create something fundamentally new in the world, like a new business. If you didn't think that was necessary or that you, that you were capable of doing it, then you would have just stayed at your old job. Um, but then, so that takes a certain amount of arrogance almost in a way, because you're like all these other people that are doing property management in Columbus, they're garbage. I'm going to make a new one. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was literally what I, that was implicitly what I was stating. So there's a certain level of arrogance, but if you're going to get anywhere, you have to actually put that aside now and, and listen to the market 
and listen to your customers and listen to your employees about what's working and what's not working. So you start out all confident and arrogant about how you know better than everyone else doing property management. But now, okay, so you get, so you get some traction, but now you actually, your customers are telling you this, that, and the other thing, and you have to put your ego aside and be like, okay, okay, all right, let me calm down. Let me, let me hear what they're saying. And maybe there's something there that I can take and, and use to grow my business. So I think it's like that all over again now, if I want to take things to the next level, it's that same dynamic. Yeah. This, what I hear you talking about is like this idea of reinvention and each, each iteration of reinvention can look daunting. Um, yeah. but most, I mean, not most entrepreneurs that I work with that are stuck is they're, they're stuck exactly where you're talking about is there, there is a, their business and the market is begging for a new iteration of them as a leader and their business. And they're wondering if they're going to heed the call. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Dan said on a coaching call with Dan near the beginning of our time together, he said, I was talking to him about a goal, like a financial goal that I wanted to hit. And he said, that is not a goal. It's a symptom of a change you commit to making. Uh, and I wrote that down and I think about it a lot because it, it triggered a mindset shift in me that was really, it's like, it's the age old thing about if you're in it for the money, you're not going to get very far. Um, and I, I believe that now. And I don't think I really did believe that until Dan said that. And then I thought about it a lot and it maybe just hit me at the right time of life or whatever. But, you know, when you start again, when you start a company, you, you know, you read all these stories about entrepreneurs and business owners and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and, you're like, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to start this company. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to be, you know, flying private jets. And that's really motivating. And it was for me. That's, you know, that was why I started. Um, I wanted to be financially independent. I wanted to live, a, you know, I wanted to have a lot of money. So, but I think that, that actually, you need a little bit of that when you start um, in mm -hmm. the same way that you need a little bit of arrogance. You need a little bit of this, what's in it for me? Cause it's like, Otherwise just go work for a nonprofit or something. I don't know. So, but then that, that, that doesn't actually get you where you're trying to go. Um, at some point you have to step back and be like, okay, like that stuff's all great, but that is, that's not going to get me there. Actually. It, it turns out that what's going to get me there is how do I add value to other people? How do I, how do I add like 10 times the value that I'm charging or how do I add in every interaction, how can I provide 10 times the value to other people that I'm asking from them? Um, and I think you have to find the right context for you in which that feels natural and easy. So, so for me, that means uh, because I, I've been in property management for so long, if I can help other, be other people be successful in property management or with their real estate investments, um, that's fulfilling for me. It's fairly straightforward and easy for me because I've been doing it for a while and they, they, they love it. They absolutely love when we're able to make them successful with their, with their rental properties, or I'm able to help somebody with their property management business to grow and scale it. And now you're talking, now you're, you're, you're committing to make a change, right. To use Dan's words. And that could get you where you're trying to go, I think. So that's everything I just told you is like new to me. So it's helping me to say it and reinforce it for myself so that I can like internalize it. Right. And what, what, as you, as you hear that from Peter, what comes to mind? I mean, in the context of whatever you guys were working on, but like what I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued. That's not a goal. That's a symptom of a change you're committed to make. That is, that was the quote. Yep. I would love to hear more about that. For me. Yeah, from you. Oh, I, thought, I thought you said me. I just didn't want to step on Peter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he was just talking about, he's very ambitious. And uh, I always like getting on the phone with him because he's clear as a bell about what he wants. And so, you know, there's no fooling around. And what he was describing made a lot of sense, but I could hear where he was coming from might be a problem. You know, I, I remember, I think I talked a little bit to him about, the. You know, I don't know if I did, Pete, but it, what came to mind was, 
the enemy of good is the enemy of great is good and you're good at something and so what got you to be good isn't probably going to get you to be great and just setting up a goal and saying that's what i want you might even you might even attain it but what you're going to have in, in between there if you don't make a shift is a lot of pain that's unnecessary and so how do you shift the way you're being with people to make room for them to be great. I think you nailed it when you talked about you want to add value to their life 10 like 10 times that more than what you're getting from them even like so that they are inspired to do the work and it's like it's like creating a context for high performance, you know, mm -hmm. and that the context is so valuable for them to participate in it actually bleeds into their life. They they like coming to work cuz it's good for their life. That's part of what I talked about with Peter mm -hmm. was like, you know, you're going to spend all this time with these people, make it worth their time, make it worth your time so that, you know, they enjoy coming to work. Even when it's hard, they get that the challenge is worth rising up to. And that's kind of what we talked about in our calls. But um, and the so, growth, the growth and the profit, the revenue uh, becomes oh, a oh, it comes a sim becomes a oh, symptom of what you've been committed to with your people. You, you focus on the what you want to create in the environment and the symptom will follow, right? If you, yeah. Whereas if you're focusing on the symptom, you're going to miss everything in between, right? Yeah. Or even try to shortcut to it. Yeah. Which you, could... Sometimes you can do that, and that's probably the worst thing in the world to do because then you're going to be frustrated with all the fallout and turnover and, and the expense. You'll, it's going to probably eat whatever you're making extra is going to get eaten up in all the problems that you've generated because the people who are there to do the work are, are just going through the motions. Yeah. Adrian, I feel like I can see wheels turning for you. Uh, lots of wheels, lots of wheels turning. Um, Let it fly. Well, even, I mean, uh, one question, you, you said a couple things really naturally, Dan, that um, like you heard where he was coming from and I was waiting to hear you describe that because that, that's a pretty big idea. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, there's, there's, there's a way to talk about a goal. I mean, you, so in some ways you're making a distinction. There's talking about a goal and the, but where you're coming from when you're thinking about how you're talking about that goal, Yeah, that distinction of who, who's there making quote unquote, making the goal, the goal is, you know, it's anyway, there's a lot there. That's yeah, where we, we often, Adrian and I often say it's not what it's who. It's who. Yeah. 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 Well, the, and the, what, the what's go ahead, Peter, go. Yeah. The, the other great little turn of phrase that's helped me here is who do you want to serve? That was a great question posed to me by a friend of mine years ago and it's never left me. Um, and that's been instrumental actually in helping us narrow, narrow our customer profile. So instead of trying to be everything to everyone, it's like, okay, who do we really like working with? Well, it turns out we really like working with real estate investors because we are real estate investors. Yeah. And so instead of working with just yeah. anyone who happens to want to rent out a house, which could be anyone from, you know, Susie Q moving across the country for a job. She just wants to rent out her house for a couple of years. That's a big difference from someone who's like, I specifically bought this duplex as an investment property. Yeah. Um, and everything about how they approach it and their expectations is all different. And I, I ran some numbers and found out that what we call the homeowner clients, which is the Suzy Q moving across the country, they actually churned out at a rate that was double our investor clients. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that was probably because that's just the nature of that type of customer. But part of it was probably because our company at some fundamental level is really set up to work with investors. Right. And so I just leaned into that. I was like, you know what? We're working with investors only now. I almost actually wanted to rename our company investors only property management. Um, and that's worked really well. It's allowed us, you know, I the like old that saying, I like <laughs> you know, it's funny, but the more you constrain your ideal customer and the folks you want to work with, it actually becomes easier and your market expands, which you'd think it would be the opposite. But um, so, yeah, I think, and that came out of that question of who do you want to serve? It's like, okay, yeah. I want to serve real estate investors. Let me, let me lean into that. Yeah. I think that's, that's brilliant. Um, it's risky to do that though. Right. So you kind of give up the shore, um, yeah. you know, when you start sailing in that direction. 
which yeah. is a little bit what you were saying, like the moment you're in part of the things like what I've been thinking or listening to as I've been in this conversation, the moment you're in is like this kind of this, okay, am I up for it question? Um, which there's no way to answer that. I mean, a lot of people do. Most people's answer is no, based on their behavior, right? It's like, you know, they'll just always be asking themselves, do I know what to do or what's the best strategy? But they don't answer it. And that is their no, right? They're mm. just this great, very, very uh, enticing, beautifully marketed, you know, space of maybe. And yeah. I'm at these crossroads and I'll set up camp at the crossroads and I'll talk about the crossroads and I'll be at the cocktail parties telling people about what I'm going to do someday and be listening to all the YouTubes and all the every Gary V piece of whatever they can get. And, but never are they willing to make a decision to go find and create the solution. But the crossroads yeah, yeah. sounds great. And that sounds, I mean, so anyway, when you're saying it, I believe you just, I mean, not, we've only known each other 42 minutes now, but I believe that you get the idea that I'm, I'm going to go find out if I'm full of shit or not. I'm going to go find out like, what is the What is the best strategy? Let's go see, shall we? Yeah. You know, do I have enough? Well, maybe, and maybe not. And who cares? And what is enough anyway? The, that age old question, like, do I have what it takes? Go find out. And then by the way, are you ever, whenever we take any kind of next step in life is where we came from enough anyway? Never, never. I don't know yeah, enough yeah. to make this work next. I don't always never. And I'm, I'm always venturing beyond what I'm comfortable with, which feels like I'm a fraud. You know why? Cause I am, <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm bigger than my britches. My grandmother would say, but that's what people do when you risk you're bigger than your britches on purpose. Yeah. And anyway, like your, your, your way of being, you're pondering about it, but not like, to see it more like to go experiment with it, which at least that's what I pick up just by how you hang out here. So anyway, yeah. very inspiring. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, there's definitely, you know, I think a lot about these, these sort of fundamental tensions these days. And one of them for me is like the, the urge to, to go and, and, and reach those next milestones in, in my in my business, yeah, um, and strive and struggle and and ponder and and you know be introspective and do the training and you know work with people to try and get to the next level. Um, but then there's and and that's in tension with like the the part of me that's like sort of the kumbaya like <laughs> everything's cool, man. Like you know this is just your life. Just live it. Just be present yeah. and live in the moment. <laughs> you know what are you you're fine you, you know you have enough aren't you satisfied you know you come home to the wife and the kid and the house and you're like this is fine like what am i what am i struggling for what am i stressing about um isn't 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 that like the whole you know shouldn't you know what's that quote about uh about basically desire is the source of all unhappiness so you know it's like you know, I'm trying to hit these milestones and figure out the mindset shift and the leadership skills. And there's another part of me that's like, that's a fool's errand. Just, just chill out, just be happy, figure out how to be happy with what you got and just, just, you know, live in the moment, you know, and of course with all these things, it's usually the, the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, but I think a lot about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like both. <laughs> But it's like a paradox, right? It's not it so, is. It's not a, it's a tension you live in for de definitely. But I found like I have this thought, if you really are in the moment, you're going to get in touch with what's missing anyway. Right. It's like the 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 moment. And, re and if you're in the reality of the moment, which is the big deal, like that in reality includes what you're thinking, what I'm thinking, you know, what my employees are thinking in that moment. I'm going to discover what's wanted and needed. And if I'm in the, you know, and if I do the same thing with my kids and my family, I'm going to discover what's wanted and needed and they'll start to come together. But, but I hear you, it's a tension and you've got to decide what you're going to act on and what you're going to let go of. And yeah. And that's a dance. Yeah. My, my thing is, you know, I mean, if I, if I don't have gratitude, I'll probably not appreciate anything. Right on. I won't want to be anywhere anytime and nothing's enough because it's like, Oh, if, if then I live in an, if then world, like mm -hmm. if I got this, if this happened, then I could that kind of 
living in order to type of living. And if I, so if I, you know, gratitude gets me here, like gets my feet on the ground. Um, like I, I heard it recently, a gratitude is praying for what you already have. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, Oh God, I wish I have what I have. Oh, look, the answer, the, the, the prayers are answered. This is it. I'm the happiest man on earth. Great. It's like, yep. you know, cause, but the, the, the desire uh, for me, desire is the, you know, the hook into the future that calls me to transform. Cause if I don't want anything, then I'll probably just stay the same. And there's not a human that stays the same, stays the same for too long. That doesn't get into some kind of despair. At least I say, I think that. It's interesting. Michael, Michael, Michelangelo said the same thing. He said, Lord, give me the desire to accomplish more than I'm capable of. Right. It's like, and I, I remember another guy, I don't know who said it, but it was like, reality is the doorway to abundance. Like what, so in that tension, if I'm showing up in the moment, I'm connected to reality, I'll know what to let go of or I'll decide, but it'll all be right there. I think the biggest problem, the challenge is getting myself to show up and be with what's really there. Yeah, that, that is, that is really hard. Um, and I think, I think Dan, one of the ways I summarize all of our work together was, was at least what I took away from it was turn towards problems. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, you have to, you have to look at the very things that you don't want to look at that you're avoiding. You have to look them square in the eye and, and come to grips with reality, like you were saying. Um, so that's been something I work on a lot too, is turn, turn towards problems. I mean, whether they're a problem with an employee, a problem with a system or process at work yeah. or a problem with my wife or my, my household, um, nothing's going to get better. You know, you have this idea in the back of your head. Well, maybe it'll just go away on its own. <laughs> it's, it's like the, the fantasy, right? It's just, uh, maybe it'll just kind of solve itself. And, you know, once in a while it does, but usually it doesn't, it just gets worse. Um, so I mean, yeah, leadership, right. Turn toward the problem. I mean, I, you mm -hmm. couldn't say it any better. That's great. Yeah. Well, there's something you said earlier, uh, that I think is interesting. Um, I think about arrogance a lot. I get accused of being arrogant from time to time, um, especially from my fiance. Um, and she's probably right most of those times. But there's a part of the way you're using the word that I think is interesting because it's, you know, there's a, there's this dynamic as, as you describe it. Um, I think what's as true, uh, maybe you're arrogant, but what's as true for me is unapologetic. And any leader you know, you seem to be living this is why, why I bring it up is just being willing to stand there in the market on a team meeting when you're looking yourself in the mirror and just say, here's what I'm here to do and not apologizing for it. Now, if that were to offend others in the market, okay. If it were to make up, make some employees uncomfortable, okay. If it were to, you know, even upset your own set of equilibrium, okay, as well. But like, you know, to have a willingness to like be unapologetic about what I'm here to accomplish or who I'm here to be. And it, those can be all like what you want to get done and who you are happen. They're in they're 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 a are uh, a necessary intertwined relationship between what I'm committed to, who I'm committed to being, and what I'm committed to accomplishing. Um, they, they happen together, you know, so this idea of it could be arrogance or it could just be an unapologeticness, especially in a world today that I think is hyper apologetic. So we don't hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. And you're right. A lot of times confidence comes across as arrogance, you know, so it's possible. Yeah. I think I get, I think to the extent I have that, I think I get it from my mom. Um, she was a, a small business owner. She, I grew up on a horse farm and she was a a riding instructor and a trainer and is now a judge and watching her interact with, um, the borders. So that, so people would board horses at our farm. And so the people that it's funny, cause she was like a horse landlord. <laughs> so she, we were renting stalls and now I'm, I'm like a people landlord, but, um, so watching her interact with her customers, uh, which was both the, the borders and then the folks who were there for lessons and then watching her interact with, sort of the, her, her vendors, which would be like the horse farrier who, who dealt with the, the horse's hooves and the people who delivered the feed and the people who came and just serviced various aspects of the operation. Um, I learned a lot about how to deal with people, um, and how to be just sort of this right mix between confident in your position 
um, but also willing to be wrong at the same time. Um, she, she was just so good at like, and I think part of it was like, she had to get super good at that, good at that as a woman in business, especially in the horse business, or you're just going to get run over, uh, by these people. So she, she was really good at like stating her position forcefully and confidently and, and, and really believing that, but also sort of listening, uh, actively listening to, to what someone would have to say back and respond in response to that and incorporating it into her own perspective. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I definitely got some of that in me. That's great. Well, Peter, this has been awesome. Thank you for your generosity and the conversation for showing up, coming, being willing to come on and talk about your leadership and your journey in there. I feel like I could do like two more hours with you. Um, <laughs> so maybe we can have you back. That would be awesome. That'd be fun. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So you have a podcast. If there's anything else that you're putting out there into the world that might be of interest to people, especially uh, people who are interested in property management or uh, learning a little bit more about how they can manage their investments. What, what can, where can they go? What can they do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me twitter.com slash PS Loman, just my, my initials and my last name. Uh, my website, peterloman.com will take you there. You can also sign up for, uh, I have a mailing list and then you can find the podcast on there as well. So yeah, happy to chat. Awesome. I'll link all those in the, in the show notes to make sure that those are easy and accessible for everybody. Great. Thank you, brother. This has been awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Bye-bye, everybody. Ciao. Bye-bye. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Oh,